DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to be joined by Dr. John Bergsma, who's an associate professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. Twice voted Faculty of the Year by the graduating classes at Franciscan University, he is a popular teacher whose love of scripture inspires his students. He holds a Master of Divinity and a Master of Theology degrees from Kelvin Seminary and served as a Protestant pastor for four years before entering the Catholic Church. He specializes in Old Testament and the Dead Sea Scrolls, graduating with high honors in 2004. Dr. Berksma's articles, some co-authored with Scott Hahn, have appeared in several academic journals and in Lay Witness. He has appeared as a guest on EWTN's The Journey Home, Franciscan University Presents, and other Catholic radio programs. With Dr. John Bergsma, we go inside the pages of Bible Basics for Catholics, A New Picture of Salvation History, published by Ave Maria Press. Dr. Bergsma, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's great to be here. I love Bible Basics for Catholics, a new picture of salvation history. What a fantastic way to deliver the message. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. What inspired you to take this particular approach? They say necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. In my case, it's more like desperation was the mother of invention. (laughs) Um, You know, after, after years of basically being locked up in a library writing my doctoral dissertation, that's how you get your doctorate, after all. Mm-hmm. got my first job teaching at, uh, at a university, and I'm standing there on a Tuesday morning staring at 50 uh, 19 through 22-year-olds. suddenly dawns on me, I've got to keep them awake for the next 75 minutes while I talk to them about Bible, about the Old Testament, okay? Everybody's most exciting topic, right? Mm-hmm. The urgency of the moment of just trying to you know, think of how am I going to keep this lighthearted and interesting for these uh, hour-and-a-half class sessions I just fell back on uh, chalk art, basically, drawing stuff on the board. The great thing about drawing is it keeps people's attention. They, you don't tell them what you're doing before you draw it, and so they got to watch, and it, it causes natural curiosity. And um, out of that whole process came the, uh, the stick figures and little icons that we use in Bible Basics to help remember the Bible storyline. Uh, visual certainly does help, doesn't it? Absolutely. I'm a visual learner, and I think most people... Uh, have a tendency towards that uh, direction. Your background in particular has given you a, a real love and appreciation for the scriptures. Uh, could you share that with folks a bit to d- just tell them of your journey? Sure. I didn't grow up in the Catholic Church. I grew up as the uh, son of a, a Navy chaplain. My mother uh, was and is very devout, and when I was a kid, she started me reading through the Bible um, in a year, about at Starting from age 12, we would get a daily, uh, daily devotional that had the scriptures broken up into readings from January through December. So I, I began that process of reading the Bible through in a year um, at that age, and I wasn't totally consistent, but I estimate by the time I was 18, I'd probably read through the Bible three times, uh, hit or miss over those years. Mm-hmm. And that developed in me a real love for Scripture. When I went to uh, college, uh, I, I studied to be a pastor like my father, was a pastor for four years in a, in a Protestant denomination, but found a lot of difficulties with Protestant theology but, and didn't know where to turn. 
um, as the Lord would have it, I ended up getting accepted into um, the uh, doctoral program in Bible at the University of Notre Dame, and there I met uh, really excellent and articulate Catholics who were able to answer my objections against the Catholic faith from Scripture. Also got me reading in, uh, reading the Church Fathers, and suddenly everything came together for me, and I, I began to realize that the, the Church that I read about in the Scriptures, the, for example, in the Book of Acts, still existed and mm-hmm. still could be joined, and it was the Catholic Church. And so uh, suddenly everything came in focus, and I saw the Church of the Scriptures is, in fact, the Catholic Church who wrote and preserved the Scriptures, and uh, everything came together I ended up coming into the Church in 2001. Well, you have a special love for the Old Testament, uh, don't you? I mean, it really reflects out in, in how you tell your story. Absolutely. You know, the Old Testament is the beginning of God's revelation, it's, and it's foundational for all other theology, uh, for everything we do. Um, the New Testament builds on it, and so when I was younger and was thinking about what area to go into, I thought, why not go into, like, the foundational discipline, you know, the, the basics, which is in the Old Testament. Not everybody views it that way, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> it, it is foundational, and I think you even bring that out in your drawings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you, you start with characters like Adam and Abraham, and if you work on those characters, you begin to see, hey, they they anticipate everything about Jesus. You know, um, what what Jesus was is what these guys should have lived up to, you know, and, and what God gifted them with at the beginning. So in Bible Basics, we begin by drawing a, a little picture of Adam, a stick figure Adam with um, a crown and a stole and other things that represent his roles that God intended for him the end of the book, we end up drawing that same stick figure for Jesus, and we we understand, oh gosh, you know, uh, Jesus is everything Adam was supposed to be. So all the truth is there in a nutshell in the Old Testament already, just waiting to be unpacked. Now, not to give anybody the impression that this is just a picture book, <laughs> this actually has a tremendous amount of uh, rich biblical scholarship. Yeah, um, wh- what I'm doing, you know, if I can say it myself, is, is something pretty sophisticated, even if it's rather simple. And if you look at the, um, the back of the book, um, I have notes to all the, the chapters, and there, there you can see the scholarly resources that I'm drawing on for the, literally the drawings and mm-hmm. uh, the other information that I'm, that I'm passing on to the reader. I'm trying to boil down um, some, some recent uh, scholarship as well as some things from the Church Fathers and, and package it in a way that's easy to understand. But, uh, you know, to use the big terms, what we're doing is canonical criticism and uh, narrative analysis, you know. And so, I mean, we could throw out those big terms and impress people, or we can just draw pictures and and maybe it'll be remembered and understood. (laughs) Well, I have to ask you, you know, especially with your experience and your background in in biblical scholarship and then your entrance into the church, you know, someone like Pope Benedict XVI and his writing and his biblical theology, essentially, that must just really ring true in your heart. Absolutely. And a lot of the emphasis on, uh, on covenant that you'll find in Bible Basics, um, that kind of forms the backbone of the biblical story that I tell in Bible Basics, a lot of that impetus is coming out of um, the writings of Benedict XVI. He's a, a biblical scholar himself. Uh, he has a heavy emphasis on covenant in his writings. Um, and in fact, he, he says some, some powerful things about covenant that I would hardly dare to say myself, but in one of his books called Many Religions, One Covenant, at one point he says this whole idea of a covenant uh, 
uh, between human beings and between God and human beings. That's not something that we invent as human beings. Like, covenant is not a human concept. He says it's something that, that is a reflection of God's very being, you know. So, I mean, that's, that's you know, pretty impressive, this, the idea of covenant as not something we invent, but God, you know, reveals it from his very essence, and, that, and that's straight from uh, Pope Benedict. So it's, it's comments like that and insights like that from Pope Benedict that really encourage me to, to continue in this uh, method of um, interpreting the Bible. Well, doesn't that make the Old Testament even more relevant and essential for for us who are faithful, not just Catholics, but Christians, to really appreciate? Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, because in the Old Testament, you know, you see God, um, as, the, as the Fourth Eucharistic Prayer says, again and again offering a covenant to man, and then through the prophets teaching him to hope and salvation. And once you understand that covenant is a way that you make non-family members into your family, then it dawns on us, oh, that's the whole point of covenant. God's trying to invite us into his family, even though we're creatures, you know, and not naturally his children, but he's trying to make us his children by giving us his spirit and giving us his covenant. And, and God attempts to do this many times through the Old Testament and say, well, why does God attempt? Why doesn't it just work? Well, it doesn't work because we keep rejecting it. We don't want to live as children of God. We keep rejecting this offer of being drawn into uh, divine childhood, or what sometimes is called divine filiation, to use a fancier title. Um, so God keeps trying to invite us into his family, and, and ultimately it takes our Lord's sacrifice, you know, the giving of himself completely to kind of break through our stubbornness and break through our hard-heartedness and hard-headedness and make us realize God loves us this much, you know, to go to this point. And, and it's Christ's self-sacrifice that softens our hearts and enables us to accept this offer of being a child of God and being part of God's family. So all of that's prepared for in the Old Testament. So relevance, yeah, definitely. I mean, unless we take part in the journey and, 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 and run through the story, then, then we don't appreciate what Christ has done. It would be kind of like t- tuning into. Uh, the Lord of the Rings movie series, you know, at the end of the third one, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, where, where there's the wedding between Aragorn and Arwen or something like this, and uh, and not understanding the significance of the event because we haven't been on the journey of the ring all the way into Mordor. And uh, so that, that's that's kind of what we do a lot as Christians, though. We, we plant ourselves in the New Testament without having gone through the journey up to that point, and while we can survive doing that, um, we lose, lose a lot of the richness in the Gospels and in understanding our Lord's life and ministry. It really is quite a, a beautiful image that you draw for us here, and it really cries out to God's desire for relationship with us. I mean, imagine that. God wants to have a relationship with us. Yeah. You know, he created us as persons, you know, and even, even the fact that he created us as male and female um, if you think about it, male implies female, female implies male. Um, so every one of us is male or female. We're made for a relationship with at least one other person. And it's a sign, really, that that we're made for a relationship not just with one other person, but with, ultimately with God. You know, and, and so God's creation of, of us as persons shows that we are made for personal relationship, ultimately with Him. And that's the message of Scripture. Um, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a, you know, God trying to 
remove our fun by telling us what not to do. It's really a story of him trying to draw us into a relationship with himself. It's so tremendous. And just looking at the book, the fact that you're able to cover so much and you pack it into what is not an intimidating size for anyone. <laughs> I have to say that. You know, I, th- I think that's one of the things that keeps many people away from study of the Old Testament. Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's hundreds of pages long, and um, it's easy to lose your way um, in the forest. You know, mm-hmm. and so Bible Basics is, is in, it's intended to be a map to the forest, um, so you don't uh, lose yourself when you're down in the thickets and, and surrounded by trees. <laughs> Excuse mm-hmm. me. <coughs> and um, you know, a map should not be intimidating. So the book is only about 150 pages long, and people have told me they've been able to read it in three hours. So I think that's pretty good. Um, and, and and hopefully. You know, it's it's presented in such a way that, that you can remember the map when you get done with it. I also have to say that it, the fact that Dr. Scott Hahn would endorse it so highly is, can I say, testament to sure. its gravitas. Yeah, I appreciate Scott's encouragement. And, and uh, he, he bears a role in uh, the creation of the book because for years he had been encouraging me to take what I had been doing in classes at Franciscan University for our listeners uh to know um, Dr. Hahn and I both teach at, at the same university at Franciscan in Steubenville, and uh, our offices are next to each other, and we live about, oh, 500 yards from each other. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Dr. Hahn w- would say to me, um, you know, you really ought to take what you're doing in, in your um, scripture classes and, and put that in book form, you know, and I, I kind of blew it off, blew off the suggestion for a couple of years, but finally things came to a head, and uh, you know I took to heart what he was saying, and and wrote this book, and uh, yeah, so I've I greatly appreciated his endorsement, and um, you know I, I think uh, I trust the book is uh, is worthy of his good remarks. Well, and I I know you're too humble to say it, but I I should let the, everyone know that you've twice been named Teacher of the Year at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. I mean, and you are there's some major company that you carry in that staff. <laughs> yeah, we have some pretty excellent teachers. Um, yeah, I, I've been I'm very grateful to our students who've who've shown their appreciation for uh, my classes on a couple of occasions. Um, but uh, it's a great university to, to teach at, and the students make you a better teacher because they're so eager to learn, and so it's like having the wind to your back. Um, so I've been really grateful for being here and, and for the time I've had uh, in the classroom at Franciscan. Oh, what's fascinating about your work, and I think that you really uh, have us give a paradigm of looking at the role of Adam, mm-hmm. and that. And essentially, as man, <laughs> I mean, that paradigm, I've heard it presented in other Bible studies, but this one in particular, somehow you just kind of capture it and carry it all the way through the story. Yeah, I think that's a, a dominant motif um, through Bible basics is, you know, trying to get back to Adam. And when we, when we, you know, sit down and just meditate on the creation story, we realize that Adam was a king, you know, he was given dominion over the whole world. He was a, a priest who was supposed to guard and protect the sanctuary that is the Garden of Eden. Um, he had a prophetic role, speaking on behalf of God to the animals, giving them names on God's behalf, That's speaking on God's behalf, a prophetic role. Uh, he was made for, um, uh, for communion with, uh, with his wife. He had a bridegroom role. And, uh, and ultimately, he was a son of God. And, you know, that's what it means to be made in the image and likeness. I think that 
Uh, that's that's not commonly known, but we all know, you know, Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. It's said a couple of times in Genesis chapter 1. But we don't realize the significance of that. Later on in uh, Genesis, you know, we read that Adam had a, his own son named Seth. He was in his image and likeness. That's in Genesis 5.3. And that tips us off that this whole business about being in the image and likeness relates to sonship. It's like being a, a child of one's father. So, you know, Luke shows us at the end of Luke 3, he calls Adam the son of God, and what Luke is doing is just connecting the dots and realizing that Adam being created in the image and likeness really indicates he's the son of God. And all his other roles, king, priest, prophet, bridegroom, they all flow out of his role as son. So that was God's intention for us, to, to rule over na- uh, nature, to, um, to pray and bless and intercede. That's a priestly role to speak God's word to other people, that's a prophetic role, and to be in relationship with him him as our bridegroom and as our spouse. You know, that's the, the bridegroom role. And all these roles were gifted to Adam. They were given to him at the beginning, and he turned his back on it. And the rest of the Old Testament is kind of a story of trying to get back to that. You know, and it's, it's ultimately only when we get to Jesus, the new Adam, that he lives these roles out himself, and then by giving us his spirit enables us to live them out and to live that fullness of being children of God. Yeah, it, it's a beautiful family story. Mm-hmm. It, it, and I say that because ultimately it goes to relationship, but even in that connection with Adam and then all of the patriarchal fathers that we would have, and then throughout the life of the church, but even going back to Adam, it, it connects us to an ancestry that's very real for us. Mm-hmm. Family is very important, and, and yeah, you can call the, the Bible the, the family book of mankind. I mean, the Bible teaches that we are all related. We're all one family. We come from, from a single set of parents, and uh, uh, ultimately, you know, God is calling this whole human family to be his family. That's what we're called to, and, uh, you know, sin is, is not like stealing pleasure, you know, that God doesn't want us to have because he's mean or something like that. Sin is basically turning our back on what God is calling us to be, which is his children, you know. Mm-hmm. So we start putting things in these family terms, it, it becomes much more understandable, I think. And, um, you know, for that matter, Bible Basics is a great book to use in the family. Um, it's on a reading level that, you know, pretty much uh, anybody 12 and up uh, mm-hmm. can... can uh, can accomplish, and so it'd be a great thing to read as a family and talk about, you know, for, for parents to use in the home for doing basic um, Bible education, um, you know, teaching their own children how to be part of God's family. Well, I think th- as you bring forward very, very clearly for all of us, there are seven crucial covenants, and if we, if we can glean anything out of that history, if we know those seven covenants, it, just as adult Catholic loving scripture appreciators of that gift, then we're, we're going to be okay. Yeah, I think I think it really helps. Um, those seven covenants define you know uh, uh, epochs or you know ages of salvation history. And if we kind of get the order down, you know, with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, then the prophets, and ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, when we get those epochs down, you know, when we go to Mass and, and hear the Scriptures read, it gives us a kind of framework to, to put things into, you know. So when you hear Jeremiah being read in the first reading at Mass, we're like, okay, 
this is one of the prophets. The prophet's essential message was that a new covenant was coming um, through somebody who was going to be like a new Adam and a new Moses, you know, and that's ultimately, of course, Jesus, you know. So that gives us a little bit of a context or a framework to say, okay, I can fit Jeremiah into the bigger picture. Or if we go to Mass and we hear the stories of Abraham being read, we're like, okay, I know where that goes. You know, that's that's back earlier in the story. You know, that's that, that those foundational events for the Abrahamic covenant. And having that mental framework, I think, is just very important to get more out of our experience at Mass so that we understand what what the readings are about and and they communicate to us, and then we can more intelligently come forward and receive Jesus in the in the Holy Sacrament of the altar and, and receive more grace because our hearts are more open and our minds are more open because we understand what we're doing. And this isn't about being a, a Bible scholar. This is about being a, a child of God, essentially, I mean, and knowing our history. Yeah, absolutely, knowing our family story, you know. And when, when I was writing the book, I was... You know, keeping in mind, you know, people said, "Have you? Did you write this for high schoolers? Did you write it for, you know, junior high?" Really, I was writing for other tired parents like myself. <laughs> I was envisioning other thirty-somethings, forty-somethings who are are struggling to raise their kids and and are interested in their faith and want to grow. But you know, you get home from work at five or six in the afternoon and your brain is just fried and you got to make dinner and you got to get the kids to soccer and so on and maybe you have a half hour before bed when you want to learn something about the bible and you're just not up to like a big dictionary or or a commentary or something like that so this is very understandable um and and uh, and quick uh for those moments and it gives a way to kind of communicate the basics of our family story that's in Scripture um, to everybody, and then we can pass it on to our kids and to coworkers, etc. Well, take it from this fifty-something, Doctor Bergsma. It also <laughs> is good for us, and uh, and I would dare say those of our elder generations as well, because we weren't taught this. Yeah. I, I mean, I hate to say that, but we just. It, for whatever reason, this just wasn't communicated to us. And as I said before, sometimes the studies that are undertaken of the Old Testament are uh, beautifully done, but very long. Mm-hmm. And this particular work that you've offered us in Bible Basics, that you're not losing the essentials, but you're gaining that doorway that mm-hmm. makes it possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of studies in the Old Testament will take a a book or a chapter or something like that, and go so far in depth, which is which is good. Um, but uh, it's we're often doing it before we have the big picture, before mm-hmm. we understand the overview, and that overview is lost. And that was my own experience. Um, and I talk about that a little bit in the in the introduction to the book. Uh, you know, I, I got a doctorate in Bible. You know, spent about twelve years in in uh, uh, undergraduate and graduate education. A lot of it focused in scripture. And I had all these particulars and all this trivia and language and history and all this kind of stuff down, um, but didn't have the big picture. And, uh, you know, only through being forced to teach and, and through the help of friends like Dr. Hahn and others, you know, it, the, the picture started to come together. And I thought, boy, I wish I had had this when I was 12. I wish I had this at the beginning and could have gotten, you know, oriented and it could have had a mental map, um, you know, for, for all this time of my spiritual journey. So, you know, I'm offering through this book, you know, this, this mental map that I wish I had had when I started out studying the Bible so many years ago. Well, thank you for offering it to the rest of us as well. 
Well, you're very welcome. My pleasure. And I, I should mention, too, that you're also a senior fellow with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And, and that's just a wonderful, uh, it, it, can I call it an institution now? Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, kind of like a think tank for research in the Bible. It's a great organization. Their, their website is salvationhistory.com. And, uh, you know, Chris, I'm thinking I'd also let our, like to let our listeners know that um, uh, I have a blog called thesacredpage.com. Again, just the sacred page, all one word, mm-hmm. um, where myself and some other young Catholic Bible scholars uh, make uh, commentary on the Sunday readings and other things of interest uh, concerning the Bible and the Church, and uh, our readers might enjoy that. I do have to ask you your perspective on this. Having come into the Church and really... Uh, dived into the area of biblical scholarship and, and offering back out to the Catholic community. Have you noticed a, a change in its response to that message, or have you, uh, what's been your experience in that area? Well, I guess, you know, my experience has been largely in the classroom, and what I, what I do notice is that our incoming students tend to be uh, uh, more biblically literate than they were when I started uh, almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So there, there does seem to be something, you know, afoot. Something's going on. A lot of kids come in having read something by Dr. Hahn or Jeff Cavins or somebody else, and having some orientation to Bible. Um, some come in with dog-eared personal Bibles that they've been using since they were in, you know, junior high or something like that. And uh, so there, I think there, there is a slow, you know, upswing on uh, biblical literacy in the church. And can I ask you if it's a fair question, uh, your experience with fellow Catholic biblical scholars? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a generation that's uh, really been gifted with uh, some, some tremendous uh, Bible scholars. I have the privilege to, to work with a couple of the, the exciting uh, young and upcoming ones, like uh, Dr. Uh, Brant Petrie had this fabulous book, uh, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. It's been mm-hmm. a bestseller uh, now. Um, he blogs with me on, on the sacredpage.com. Michael Barber out with uh, John Paul the Great University in San Diego. Just a, a, a brilliant, genius-level IQ guy who, who blows me away with what he does uh, with Old and New Testament. Um, obviously, you know, Dr. Hahn is well-known, and um, the Augustine Institute in Denver has excellent scholars, Ted Shree, Tim Gray, um, so there's a lot of good things happening uh, in, in Catholic biblical scholarship, and I'm excited to be part of it. Part of it is just getting started. Once again, I think Bible Basics for Catholics is a great way, just getting your feet wet, especially in that area of the Old Testament. Don't wait. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just you'll get more out of Mass, I think, when you get through this book and helps you understand the readings. I wish we had more time. Any final thoughts? Uh, well... Uh, just read the book, and I hope everyone enjoys it. <laughs> Dr. Berksma, thank you so much for joining us. Very welcome, Chris. Great to be on with you. With Dr. John Berksma, we've gone inside the pages of Bible Basics for Catholics, a new picture of salvation history. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to AveMariaPress.com. The website for its publisher, Ave Maria Press. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors.